Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, July 28th is just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, they are now sponsors, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Check out ChicagoReader.com. Subscribe to the Chicago Reader if you'd like. And you can become a bin head. You can help support this program. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. Let's start the show. It is Wednesday, July 28th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we welcome Ed Mullen, and it's the return of legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Thomas Barrick Thursday, and here's why. As Dennis said, I spent the better part of the last few days in New York City. I was there. Well, it doesn't matter why I was there. New York City! (laughs) Skyscrapers and everything. You remember those commercials? No. Oh, sorry. (laughs) But I do remember the Stevie Wonder song, uh, Living in the City, where the guy comes from the country to the city. He goes, New York City, skyscrapers, everything, which is a line I use every time I go to New York City, D. I go, skyscrapers and everything. In fact, I use that when I'm downtown Chicago. Look, D, skyscrapers and everything. Where was I? Focus, Ben, focus. Oh, yes. Doesn't matter why I was there. I was there. And I happened to be walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. Early Monday afternoon, gorgeous day. Well, it was actually steamy hot and I was sweating like a horse, but the weather doesn't matter. Focus, Ben, focus. If you've ever veered left off of the Brooklyn Bridge, you head into a community known as Brooklyn Heights, which is every baby boomer can tell you is the hometown of Kathy and Patty Duke from the Patty Duke Show. Dennis will now sing the opening song from the Patty Duke Show. And this is now Dennis singing. This is not me singing. This is Dennis singing. Kathy's only seen the sights a girl can see from Brooklyn Heights. What a crazy pair. I was ready. I was going to sing that. (laughs) The Patty Duke Show. Her name is Patty. Last name Duke. <laughs> what a great voice you have, Dennis. I, D, you should be a singer. Anyway, Dennis's favorite line in that song is where a hot dog makes her lose control. Oh, that's filthy. Uh, but that, that's actually a line in the song. They snuck it by the censors. Anyway, stop being distracted by the Patty Duke Show, Ben. Stay focused. Stay on point. Anyway, back to the walk across the Brooklyn Bridge into Brooklyn Heights. As you walk further from the bridge, you pass the federal courthouse in Brooklyn. It was at that point when I was walking past that federal courthouse in Brooklyn that amazing. I got a text message from this show's good friend, Jim Coogan, ace uh, 
lawyer who comes on to talk about uh, criminal defense and Trump's Trump's uh, malfeasance, that kind of thing. Well, I was all set to respond to Jim when I noticed a crowd of media hanging around the federal courthouse. I figured, oh yes, perfect timing. Some celebrity's getting arraigned, and the meeting's waiting. The media is waiting for him or her to walk out of the courthouse, surrounded by lawyers, where they walk briskly to a to a limo that's waiting to avoid comment. Immediately, I was distracted from Jim's text by curiosity. Who is the scoundrel? A mafioso, perhaps? An inebriated New York celebrity? A Trumpster? Yes, it was a Trumpster. Thomas Barrick, to be exact. And how appropriate that Jim Coogan would be texting me at this very moment. as Because Jim, as I said, is frequently talking about scoundrels and miscreants in Trump's universe. It was like a scene from the Twilight Zone that he would text me at that moment. Immediately, I went into full reporter mode. Meaning, I sat there among all the gaggle of New York-based reporters and cameramen and other media types. I did the deep dive on Thomas Barrett, a man I had only been vaguely aware of until then. By doing the deep dive, I mean I took out my cell phone and looked up his Wikipedia page. So it was more like the shallow dive. There's a fun few fun-filled facts I ascertained about Thomas Barrett because I was sitting there outside the courthouse waiting him from, for him to emerge with his lawyers. He's a Republican. What else? He worked in the Reagan administration. Big surprise. He was deputy undersecretary to James Watt, the interior secretary, uh, whose claim to fame, by the way, is that he thought the Beach Boys were a bunch of subversives. Stick to the point, Ben. He was rich, Barrick is, even then. In fact, the Secret Service would board its horses at his ranch when President Reagan was at a nearby ranch, proving it pays to have ranches. He's an associate of Harvey Weinstein. Did not know this. Of course, I didn't know much about the guy at all. In 2010, Barrick partnered with Quattar Investment to purchase Weinstein's film production company, Merrimax, for $660 million. Soon thereafter, he sold Merrimax for a fourfold profit. Smart. That's why he's so rich. In October 2017, his colony capital agreed to invest in the Weinstein Company to keep it afloat in light of Weinstein's sexual misconduct allegations, but the deal fell apart. He's also big-time pals with Donald Trump. In 2010, Barrick bought $70 million worth of Jared Kushner's debt on a building in Fifth Avenue in New York. Kushner later, later avoided bankruptcy when Barrick arranged to reduce the obligations after a request by Trump. I want you to remember that, ladies and gentlemen, the next time you hear Jared Kushner lecture black people about their need to work harder. Not all of us have billionaire friends, Jared Kushner. Here's the key, in terms of his Trump connections, he served as committee, as chairman of the committee overseeing Trump's inauguration for which he raised over $100 million. And he got to give a speech at the 2016 Republican convention where they nominated Donald Trump. My favorite Trump connection is that he denies a quote attributed to him in the 2018 Michael Wolff book, Fire and Fury, in which he said Trump was not only crazy, but, quote, stupid. Of course he denies it. Trump's, <laughs> Trump's been known to behead people for less. But how many among us actually believe he said it? I do. I believe he said it, then he denied it later, which is a favorite tactic of Trumpsters. I never said the thing you said I said. 
Anyway, now he's facing charges of illegal foreign lobbying on behalf of United Arab Emirates. Apparently, he was their go-between, telling the White House the things that folks uh, in the Emirates wanted Trump to hear. And then, here's the tricky part, telling the Emirates, people in the Emirates thing, that they probably weren't supposed to hear, like White House intel. Well, that's the accusation. And as uh, Monroe Anderson, my next guest, could tell you, in America, you're innocent until proven guilty. And so Thomas Barrick waits his judgment, having been released on a $250 million bond. That's $250 million. Ladies and gentlemen, I told you he was rich. He's going back to his home in Aspen, Colorado, to wait things out. And so there I was by pure happenstance when he made his great exit, but I was not the protester waving the sign, calling him a traitor, though I may have said, lock him up just to make him feel at home with some rhetoric from the 2016 Trump convention. And I didn't really say it that loud. It was sort of like a side comment I made to one of these cameramen. I'm not sure where the cameraman was working for, but he gave me the courtesy of laughing at it as though he thought it was really funny. And so, folks, I want you to realize something, that no matter where I go or what I do, even if it's officially a day off, I'm still hard at work for you. We got a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anderson, who's not working. He's following Donald Trump. He's ready to talk about all the Trump news of the day, including um, yesterday's congressional hearing, which I was also following, by the way. Uh, And Ed Mullen will be uh, a guest uh, in the second part of the show. Fascinating guest. He's an election lawyer. You probably know about him. He represents a lot of progressive uh, left-of-center candidates. And he's obsessively following the map-making for the Supreme Court in Illinois. And Monroe, you have to stick around to hear this because the Democrats in Illinois, in my humble opinion, are about to blow it again. And they're... Democrats in Illinois don't seem to understand that... Republicans don't play fairly when it comes to politics. And they, they don't listen to Monroe Anderson on the Ben Jarofsky show explain what a bunch of low down, dirty cheats Republicans are. And they act as though it's all legit. And so we're going to be stuck with Supreme Court maps that may allow the Republicans to maintain control or take control of the Supreme Court in the state of Illinois. Monroe, if there, there weren't so many other problems in the world, I'd be really upset about that one at the top of the list. Instead, it's like somewhere in the lower end of the list. Anyway, that's our show today. Monroe Anderson is on deck. Monroe, welcome back, young man. It's good to be back. And you look very rested and healthy and wise uh, and ready to take the deep dive. And uh, where do I begin? So much to begin with. I'll let you choose. Which topic do you want to start with today? Oh, dear. I guess we should start with the uh, January 6th trial. I think that's an excellent. uh, It's it's, it's so many things that's going on. But that, that hearing yesterday was incredible. Talk Uh, about what struck you the most about the hearing yesterday. How emotional the cops were and how emotional um, the Illinois representative, uh, what's God, I screw his name. Kinsinger. Kinsinger. Yeah, he, he, he had watery eyes. I don't know if you saw it or not. 
but he was t- when he was talking doing his part when he was fighting back tears he was so upset i mean it is so incredible what these guys had to go through uh from the blue lives matter people uh, so, and- so 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 you know if, if the blue lives matter people will treat them the way they treated them what they do to us meaning black folks well, well, some of the uh, two of the cops that testified. Uh, well, one of the cops that testified was a black uh, a black man. Then the other was uh, from the DR. Yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, and I got to tell you, uh, Monroe, that testimony it didn't surprise me. Uh, the blatant bigotry coming out of the mouths. And the hate coming out of the mouths of the Trump protesters. Right. I wasn't surprised right. by it, but it's still shocking to hear it. Well, a white supremacist is going to be a white supremacist. Yeah. And so that's the sort of things they're going to say. And um, they're, they're just haters. It's, it's amazing. And, and they're stupid. Because... They actually thought that they would be able to take over the Capitol building. And Trump tried to help them as much as he could. He didn't call in the National Guard. Uh, and it, uh, he, didn't, he didn't go on camera in time and say, enough already. This is America. We don't need a violent takeover. Mm-hmm. It was like, uh, go team, go. <laughs> And then the response of MAGA uh, to the testimony yesterday uh, has struck me. We are as divided as we've ever been. Right. And um, so when you talk about how you were moved by the uh, testimony of the uh, four police officers, uh, MAGA mocks them. Right. And uh, says the tears aren't real, uh, says they're exaggerating. Uh, says that uh, it's all sort of like this uh, a game uh, put created by Democrats to make Trump look bad. So it's right. like looking at the same exact thing with oh, a totally different reaction. And, and as you know, we really, really, really got to work hard to make Trump look bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's a it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> you know, I've taken to with my right wingers on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I would make um, post ridiculous statements about Trump, as in, in one one or the other of the lies. I I I, I ask them. I, I tell them now. Uh, that's what they're saying on Pluto, <laughs> <laughs> on planet Earth. <laughs> this is what's going on. <laughs> and, you know, Pluto isn't even a planet anymore. It's an asteroid. <laughs> so <laughs> it got a really tiny little something-something. <laughs> so, help me out here now. You're, you're my expert on MAGA. What's going on in MAGA's mind? I mean... I, I, I'm trying to view August 13th. Mm-hmm. That's what you got to look out for. Mike, the pillow guy, says that on August 13th, 
slowing down. I yeah. and Paris are gonna say, uh, well, tricked you. We're not really president and vice president. Trump is president, and we're not sure who's gonna be the vice president. Yeah. Pence is on the shit list right now. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who they're going to insert. Right, uh, but it doesn't matter. As long as Trump alone, Trump alone can do it. He doesn't need a vice president. Uh, and uh, but I, I was reading some of the articles uh, about uh, the um, people who have been arrested uh, in connection with January six, uh, and there was a story about a police officer from New York uh, City who is facing charges having to do with using a, uh, a flag holder as a weapon. Yeah. And uh, he was like trying to gouge people's eyes out. This guy is a, a cop. Right. A Marine. Yeah. And his uh, job was to, be, to um, protect City Hall. Yes. In New York. Yes. Yeah. So he had the same job in New York City, effectively, that these uh, police officers had at Capitol. He was protecting right. elected officials. Right. right. Uh, and now he was attacking them. Right. And the people who know him talk about how, like, his life changed in the last year. He got more and more political. When I re- read these articles about the uh, insurrectionists, the January 6th protesters, it, it, it's like reading an article that uh, after the fact about somebody who got involved with a terrorist organization. Radicalized. That's what they they call it. They, when when these people who weren't interested become crazy about it, he got radicalized online. And one of the issues that's in the past week that keeps rearing his ugly head is how Facebook is responsible for all sorts of things evil. I mean, they're responsible for COVID. Uh, because they allowed all these um, uh, crazy theories to to um, be posted on their their walls, and 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 for a lot of people, Facebook is their source of news. What they see there is what they believe. Well, and the same thing with Trump. You know, Trump and the and the big lie. Yeah. I mean, if you. You don't have to listen. I'm not letting Facebook off the hook. Don't get me started on on Facebook. I go on and on about Facebook, but it's it's beyond Facebook right now. You know, it's like um, who was it? Uh, Laura uh, uh, Ingraham. Yeah, Ingraham. Yeah. I was watching a bit where she was uh, denigrating the testimony. And uh, and it, there, there's no attempt whatsoever on the part of MAGA to in any way take serious the consequences of their behavior. No attempt whatsoever. No. It's a political fight from the get-go. So you can't have that. They wouldn't participate uh, in the in the commission unless they were going. Their sole purpose would be to. Uh, Turn it into a circus. Turn it into a circus. Yeah. That, that was that was the ground rules for their participation. Right. So now they're not they're gonna pretend they didn't watch it, or if they did watch it, they're rolling their eyes. They don't so believe it. Yeah, right. They don't believe it. Right. So 
It's it's a scary moment, Monroe, because you can't have a legitimate political debate with an opposition. And when I say opposition, I mean in the tr- traditional sense of like that's the opposing party. But we we sort we kind of agree on certain elements. Do you follow what I'm saying? Like Kinzinger represents and Cheney represents. Hello, Mansion and Cinema. <laughs> They're sitting around saying, well, we're going to have a legitimate debate about these things, and therefore we need the filibuster. And the Republicans are saying, if the tables were turned, the filibuster would be dead and buried by now. Yeah, no, I I, I find that uh, astounding. Every step of the way, I've given up hoping for this. I actually have given up hoping for this, but I, the expectation is that there will be some soul searching on the Republican Party. And I'm so used to this as a Democrat. Every time the Democrats lose an election, there's quote unquote soul searching, which means usually beating up the left, <laughs> blaming the left. All right. You know, and uh, I've heard about it. I've heard it from many of my friends, uh, including the, the man I'm talking to right now. Where the left went too far, and this, but it's. it's oh, wait a minute! I, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I was waiting you're, to see if I can get a rise out of you right you're now. Not, you're, you're not going to trump me on your show. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you didn't say the left went too far. Exactly. You did make fun of me for loving Bernie so much. Yeah, but, right. uh, but you know what I'm talking about, Monroe. There's too much, not so much, too much. Too much. <laughs> but there's so much, okay, there's soul searching. Nothing like that in Republicans' part. It's like they never, it's like they never did anything wrong. Uh, they're not guilty of anything. And if they did do anything wrong, they didn't mean it. Yeah, they didn't mean it. Did you see that? You saw the testimony of uh, the police officer about the the people uh, yelling all the the racial epithets at him. Oh, yeah. Uh, And and then the other. Yeah. Yeah. So how do the Republicans talk their way out of that? You know, when um, Mick Jagger was criticized by the Puerto Rican community for that line, we, hey, man, we're going to uh, meet some Puerto Rican girls and have fun, and they, they were upset about that, Jagger's response was, if they can't take a joke, fuck them. <laughs> so that's the Republicans', <laughs> that's the Republicans uh, response to all their racist stuff. If, if, you, if you can't take a joke, we, 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 we don't really hate niggas, but if you can't take a joke, fuck you. Yeah. Well, that, uh, so what do you think is going to come of this, the committee hearing? Oh, I think it's, gonna, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's going to turn the tables. I think that except for the magas, the, the, the Stone Cold magas, the cult, Everybody else, by the time this is done, uh, will be voting Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> the independents, the Asians, the Hispanics, 
the gays, the transes, the, the, the they, them people, and blacks. Everybody's going to be going against the Republicans because they're so married to Trump, so enthralled by him, so fearful of him that they're going along. And now, basically what he's doing now is uh, a litmus test. If you don't go with the big lie completely, then I have nothing to do with you. Yeah, the Republicans should be running on inflation and overspending and, um, oh, the border. They should be running on, on real issues. But instead, what they have to do is, is, is repeat Trump's lie about his having won yeah. the election and, and that he, it was stolen from him. Actually, I'm not sure any of the issues you you named are are real issues, uh, but this gets into a, a, a larger no, frustration. Not, but at least it's something that yeah. they that, that they could have besides something that's obviously crazy. Yeah. Well, what what my point is is that um, what makes us of uh, a very I like unique, not in a great way unique, but uh, t- a point in time is that you you can't even get an agreement between Republicans and Democrats on the problems and challenges that we face. So one obvious one being climate change. Right. Republicans deny that it even exists, even right. though the evidence of it is all around us. Well, they're just uh, not coming around to um, saying, well, maybe shucks, maybe you ought to get a vaccination. Okay, now we're talking about vaccinations. Let's talk about that. So that's another example. Yeah, climate change. So, for instance, there's like a debate would be the Republican approach to dealing with climate change, which I presume will be market based. Uh, Some kind of market. Since they deny that it exists, there is no Republican. There's no debate. uh, And there are no Republican options on the table to discuss. So then let's move to um, the pandemic. (laughs) <laughs> which the whole country is, I'm going to rock, go on and on about this, is sending out so many mixed messages on the pandemic right here in Chicago with Lollapalooza, but put that aside for the moment. The Republican official, the Republicans have not officially recognized that the pandemic is real. No. They, they, it's, it's still the flu. It's still the flu. You know, and so I saw this, uh, an article, get your response to this, by the governor of uh, Alabama, where uh, the pandemic is very real, uh, and the number of COVID cases is going up, largely because people aren't getting vaccinated. Right. And her suggestion was to get people to get vaccinated by telling them that it was the Trump vaccination. Yes. If you let them know that this was a great achievement by this great president, they will be vaccinated. That was her strategy. And I'm like, that may work. No, too little, too late. (laughs) No, seriously, they have been 
lied to about this for an entire year, more than a year, going on a year and a half almost. They've been constantly lied to. Um, I saw a, a, a meeting with one of the governors and, and, and his, his, his medical people mm-hmm. with some Trump folks. And this is Republicans. And they say in the meeting, these are medical people, that the vaccination will not make you infertile. Because that's one of the, that's one of the lies they have out there, that if you get the COVID vaccination, if you're a woman, you, you, you won't be able to have children. And so the medical person says the vaccination will not make you sterile. And they, the crowd is going, liar, liar, <laughs> liar. I mean, you, 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 you can give them any sort of fact you want. And they've been so lied to, so fooled, so conned that they're only going to believe the con now. And I don't see, I don't know if Trump can reverse this now. I don't know if he goes on TV and said, well, first of all, let me confess. My, I got the vaccination in January, <laughs> and so did my family, all my family members. Uh, it works, it's good for you, just do it. And they would say, the Democrats got a, a hold of, 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 of Trump <laughs> and shot him up with some sort of drug that makes him lie about his lies. No, the way Trump would do it. And I and he was inching that way. I remember during the debates, with, if you can call them debates, the Pence, uh, Kamala Harris, and Trump, Biden, uh, Trump and Pence dealt with the accusation or the question that they hadn't done enough in regards to uh, helping the country defend itself against um, COVID by saying, we're the ones who engineered the creation, the production of the vaccine, and that'll save us. I think, I forget what they call it. They have some names, some, they always come up with operation. I think it's warp speed. Yeah, it was warp speed. Uh, And so, this is our initiative. Right. And okay. So the classic Trump response would be this is the greatest vaccine that has ever existed. I am the greatest man who ever existed because I'm the one who created the vaccine. So you'd be thinking like Trump was mixing like chemicals in a lab somewhere or whatever, you know? And then that that is like, that that is. Yeah. When I fight with, uh, Trump, Trump nuts on uh, Facebook. What I point out to them is that we're not the only one with a vaccine. That uh, the UK has a vaccine, <laughs> Russia has a vaccine, China has a vaccine. <laughs> there are other vaccines, and not only that, but um, with the Pfizer vaccine, Germany paid for a lot of. It. Not America. Yeah. So, so what you're doing right there uh, is analyzing Trump's assertion. You're doing like a Washington Post fact check of a Trump assertion. Yeah. But the but the point that I'm making is that putting aside whether 
what Trump is saying is accurate. That's classic Trump talk that MAGA loves. And you, my thought is if like Trump wanted to take credit for the vaccine, I'm wondering, I don't know if this is true. This is what the governor of Alabama was suggesting. So far he hasn't. Yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't because he sees that MAGA has gone to an extreme in its opposition uh, to the vaccine and to just any kind of government initiative to protect us against COVID. But if Trump were to try to take credit for it, I'm just wondering whether the governor of Alabama is correct and that you would see um, MAGA people suddenly getting vaccinated because Donald Trump had said it was the right thing. Donald Trump had had taken credit for it. Do you get what I'm saying? Donald yeah. Trump had taken something that is like a democratic thing. Well, he's re- he's made reference to the fact that he's he's responsible for the vaccine and he's not getting credit. But again, right now, well, his focus since November 8th or something like that has been on well, actually, even before that, his focus when when the when when the disease first hit was he was just trying to figure out how to use it to his advantage and not have it harm, harm him. His yeah. focus was on getting reelected. That's the only thing that mattered to him. I mean, literally nothing else. If uh, and that that has come out in the I Long Can Fix It book, where they talk about. Um, Miley had a meeting with the other military heads where they game played what to do if Trump wanted to use the military to have a coup, how they were going to stop him from doing it. So his sole focus since he, since he, he left office has been on how he can get back in office. And so, right. he, so nothing, nothing else matters to him. He, he, if, if, if he actually thought that the, uh, that the virus taking um, credit warp speed and saying that was it and that would help him get elected, he'd adopt it. But that's, oh, yeah. he, he doesn't think that's going to work for him. By the way, I, I sent you as a homework assignment. I'm not sure if you had an opportunity to do your homework, that essay that Michael Wolf wrote for the New York Times. Uh, I, he uh, sat down with Trump, and it's so bizarre. Michael uh, Wolf wrote a book that was critical of Trump. Trump denounced the book. I just quoted how uh, Thomas Barrick, Trump's ally who's now in trouble with the feds, uh, says the, 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 the quotes of in the book are not accurate, you know, <laughs> so like anybody believes him over uh, Wolf. And yet Trump sat down with Wolf for an interview uh, as Wolf geared up for the second book where he's going to make all this money bashing Trump again. Trump doesn't care. This is his third, this is his third Trump book. It's his third Trump book. Yeah, it's his third Trump book. Oh, God, I've lost yeah. it. But he, he's convinced based on sitting down and having the conversation with Trump that Trump's running for reelection. Yeah. And there's no doubt in his mind, get ready for it. Trump has utterly just no regard whatsoever for all the, uh, I, the cases. I read, I, I read the column and his, his arguments as to why uh, were pretty sound, I thought. You know, uh, Trump, what anybody else if, who's not a con man uh, 
would see as liabilities. Trump thinks he's going to be used to his advantage. Yeah. You know, the fact that that he's got all these legal challenges in, in, in New York uh, is going to work to his advantage because people are going to see that they're out to get him. His people yeah. are going to see that they're out to get him. Uh, the problem with this whole Trumpism that's going on now is that they are still a minority and they're going to need a majority to put him back in office. So this is why they, they have a dual track going on where um, they were trying to rile up their people. That's what this whole stop the steal business is about. Uh, rile up his people. But the other part of it, uh, which they're doing in um, invisible sight is the voter suppression mm-hmm. and the voter um, counting. Those votes that they can't suppress, they will they will decide that oh, well, um, you 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 got twenty thousand votes, we got nineteen and a half, we won. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and so, I mean, but but they 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 are obviously out to steal the vote. All right, uh, the, the 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 Democrats are still figuring out um, what good policies they can have that's going to convince the people to vote for them. All right, uh, before uh, that's a perfect uh, segue to get into our bring on our next guest to talk about Democrats versus Republicans, how they view the world, uh, and uh, I'm going to ask Monroe to stick around for that. Ed Mullen will be joining us, election lawyer. We'll take a break before we, before we do that, but I'm going to tease Monroe with the question I'm going to ask him when we come back, and that'll be: Is Chicago? sending out a mixed message uh, in the fight uh, against the pandemic by hosting Lollapalooza. So that is, Monroe's going to have a little time to figure out an answer to that one. We're going to take a break, uh, and then we're going to bring Ed Mullen on to join us. Stick around, everybody. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from his attic. Great job by Dennis. Uh, great production work there. We have our issues with Google Meet, which I will not tell anybody about. I made a pledge. This is not the week I'm going to talk about Google Meet, but it requires some brilliant, brilliant maneuvering by Dennis. Uh, and he just did a great job doing it. Uh, Ed Mullen, uh, ace election uh, lawyer, about to join us. He's uh, uh, in the, uh, I could see him right there, Monroe. Before I bring Ed on, I'm going to ask you to answer that question. Uh, that I laid out, and maybe uh, Ed Mullen, maybe force him to take a stand on this one. He's like looking a little nervous. He's like, I don't know if I want to answer a tough question. Is Mayor Lori Lightfoot sending out a very dangerous mixed message where she's telling the public essentially, in about a week, we're really going to have to worry about this pandemic but hey, man, not this week because Lollapalooza's in town and let's rock and roll and smoke a lot of reefer. Monroe Anderson, is right. Lori Lightfoot sending out a dangerous mixed message? Yes or no? Go. It's not a yes or no uh, answer because the theory is uh-huh. that A, they're outdoors. So the virus doesn't. Uh, spread as easily outdoors because it can go into the ether or someplace. Uh, secondly, uh, you have to be vaccinated. 
or proof of vaccination or proof that in the past you got a test, uh, the negative test in the past three days. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the likelihood is that it, it won't be a huge number of illness. It won't be a big um, uh, one, one of those spreader uh, activities that Trump was famous for. But on the other hand, some will get sick. That's for sure. And so my, my thinking on this is that um, I won't be out there. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you a report back and, let me, and tell me how good it was. Uh, (laughs) that's funny monroe anderson (laughs) you know if it was like maybe uh the isley brothers or something like that some group from the 70s i'd be out there oh that's new york which where you were you should have (laughs) stayed i should you know uh, the big concert there yeah all right, Ed Mullen, bringing you on. Uh, let's let's watch Ed Mullen dance around this one, uh, Monroe. Ed Mullen, uh, a selection lawyer. We're here to talk about the the Democrats and the uh, maps they're drawing for state supreme court, which is a fascinating story that you told me about, Monroe. You got to hear this one. Stick around to hear this one. Ed Mullen's going to tell us a story that I believe shows that Democrats really don't know how to play the game uh, when it comes to dealing with Republicans. Uh, both of you are free to disagree with me vehemently on that. But, Ed, before we get to that, uh, is Lori Lightfoot, as I am asserting, sending out a dangerous mixed message? Or do you agree with Monroe that there's enough uh, safety built into this so that it's OK to have Lollapalooza right now? Well, what I found very interesting about Monroe's answer is he said on one hand and then he said on the other hand. And and your question is whether she's sending mixed signals. And I think if you have to answer the question on one hand and another hand, then then she's inherently sending mixed messages. But to me, the issue is, is Dr. Arwitty is saying that if we have 200 cases a day that we are, are in a in a riskier category, um, but if you look at the testing, it's gone down so much recently that some so fewer people are going to get tested. Do we really know whether we're hitting that 200 number or not already? And and that's what concerns me is that we may already be in the risk area and not know it because so many fewer people are getting tested. So I'm, I'm a little concerned about Lollapalooza, and I, I don't think you'll be seeing me down there. <laughs> OK, Ben, so you've got to you've, you've got to represent both of us. Okay, no, I'm not going anywhere near Lollapalooza. I wouldn't. Get, I, I think. I think the whole thing is insane. I believe uh, that they just didn't want to. It, it reminds me in some ways, and uh, Ed and Monroe, you'll get a. I don't know if you agree with me in this one, but it reminds me in some ways of what was going on right before the March primary of 2020. We were heading into this pandemic. Uh, and this was the very early stages when we, there was no vaccine and it was a very scary moment in our country. But we wanted to have <laughs> that primary. We didn't want to delay the primary. So every, it was almost like they were saying, we're going to get really serious about uh social distancing and protecting ourselves against the vaccine. But go out and vote. 
And later on, uh, Ed and Monroe, you both know this. Some states cancel primaries uh, because it got very serious and they didn't know if they could protect people. And so I just had the feeling it's a similar thing where we have this big money making venture that people have bought tickets for. It's going to be an enormous headache to uh, stop it. So let's just pretend as though the pandemic's not coming. And then as soon as Lollapalooza leaves town, we're going to get more serious about it. Ed, do you think I am way too cynical for my own good? No, I, I think you're, you're right. I think a lot of times in this, uh, in this pandemic, we've, uh, you know, we've been a step behind. I think, uh, you know, going back to shutting down the St. Patrick's day parade, you know, that was, you know, the, everyone was like, that's too big a thing. We can't, we can't shut that down. And then as it got closer, uh, you know, people realized the danger and said, you know, even though it's a big thing and so many people have planned it and there's so much money around it, we, we got to shut it down. And mm-hmm. I think um, that that's happened over and over during the pandemic that we've been kind of surprised by, uh, by, by how strong it comes on it sometimes. All right, uh, let's uh, leave this topic behind, and uh, Ed is going to give us sort of a, a, a primer or a primer, however you pronounce it, on uh, the, the maps that govern Illinois uh, state Supreme Court justices uh, and what the Democrats have done with the maps and the possible impact it could have. I want everybody to take uh, notebooks out and pens and take notes. This will all be on the test. Uh, It's very important because this determines so much of policy and politics uh, in the state of Illinois, even if you don't realize it. So, Ed, why don't you start at the top and talk about uh, how judges are de- how we decide who gets to sit on the Supreme Court uh, in the state of Illinois. Sure. So currently we have seven members on our Illinois Supreme Court and they are all uh, elected members and they serve for a 10 year term. And currently we have four uh, Democratic members on the Supreme Court, and we have three Republican members on the Supreme Court. The districts are drawn so that Cook County actually consists of three separate Illinois Supreme Court justices. So three of the justices come out of Cook County and are reliably Democratic. The other four districts are spread throughout the state. And so we need to make sure that we have one district in the rest of the state that is a reliable Democratic district to make sure that we continue to hold a 4-3 majority on the Supreme Court. Um, The Cook County seats are all filled, um, but this election there are going to be two seats that, that are vacant. And one of those vacancies is because Thomas Kilbride in 2020, who was a Democratic justice who was elected did not get retained for another 10-year term. So he needed 60% of the vote in order to get retained. Uh, Opponents spent $6.2 million against Kilbride in his retention. Uh, They tied him to Michael Madigan and Chicago corruption and Springfield corruption, and they wound up uh, winning that seat. And so the legislature, this spring and and this early summer, rewrote the lines for the Supreme Court like they did with the General Assembly maps. And those lines have not been drawn 
1964. So it's 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 been decades since there has been a change in the drawing of those lines and. It came on pretty quickly. There was not a lot of conversation uh, and a lot of public uh, debate about what the Supreme Court lines were going to look like. And so when you have Cook County making up three, um, the ideal situation is to create a, a fourth district that would be reliably Democratic. And while I'm not a map expert, I'm an election law expert, I, I saw several maps, uh, one that would have included uh, Winnebago County and Rockford in the second district that would have made it more Democratic than it is, uh, and another one that, that put Kane uh, and DuPage and uh, will into a district that would have been a reliably democratic district. But what we have right now is lines have been passed by the legislature. So there's no debate on what these lines are going to be. They are what they are. And the next election is going to be using these lines. And so we have a second district with a vacancy and that district, Governor Pritzker won that district uh, 48% to 46%. And then we have a third district which also has a vacancy, and Governor Pritzker won that district 47.4% to 46.4%. So he had a one-point lead in the what's now the third district and a two-point lead in what's now the second district. But what you layer on to that is the fact that McCann, who was a libertarian candidate, uh, got 3.4% in the second district and 4% in the third district. And what that means is if you add the libertarian and Republican candidate together, uh, this becomes a tough race, both in the second district and the third district for Democrats. The good news is if you look at the presidential race, when we had uh, Trump on the ballot, he, he will not be on the ballot when these seats are voted on. Uh, Biden did very well. He won 56 to 42 in the second district and he won uh, 53 to 45 in the third district. So um, looking at just the Biden-Trump numbers, it looks reliably Democratic. Um, but these are definitely swing districts. And, you know, we have two very tight races to see whether or not we can keep control of the Illinois Supreme Court, uh, either, either as a 4-3 majority or as a 5-2 uh, majority. All right. So let me lay this out Uh in the most basic of terms, uh, so everybody can understand it. Seven ju justices, you need four to have a decisive, to, to have the winning vote. Okay, if you just if it's just a party line vote, and I know all these Supreme Court judges are going, Ben, that's not how it works. You don't yeah, understand. It's, it's, it's balls and strikes. Yes, it's <laughs> yeah, it's balls and strikes. Like John Roberts, Ben, it's not partisan. We're just one court, right? But we we know Ruth Bader Ginsburg and and Clarence Thomas somehow don't see balls and strikes exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> that's correct. Absolutely. So I know there may be a few suckers out there, maybe work, maybe work for the BGA or something like that, who actually believe that stuff or pretend they do. But anyway, in the real world, uh, where we all must survive, it's four to three Republican Democrats. So the Democrats have a choice. They can either create four districts that are so Democrat that I, Ben Jarofsky, could run. 
and I never even went to law school. And I even t- I wouldn't campaign. I would just go ride my bike all day, and I still would win. You could create four Democratic seats that are so Democrat that I could win. All right, or <laughs> Democrats, my beloved Democrats. Well, what we could do is create three that are so ironclad that Ben could win, and then we'll create like. These two that maybe a Democrat, a Democrat has a good chance of winning, but not Ben. Okay, it's not that ironclad. And so it's like I told Ed Mullen, man, the Democrats have never heard that old saying. Uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So they created a situation, Monroe Anderson, my beloved Democratic Party. Yeah, where they set it up, where they could lose. Right. You know. You know what your your, your beloved Democrats should have done. What's that? They should have asked themselves, "What would Texas do?" <laughs> <laughs> now, Ed, <laughs> that is so true, Monroe. What would Texas do? What would, in other words, what would Texas Republicans do? Now, Ed. I know the role you're supposed to play. You're a good government uh, lawyer. You're an election lawyer. And I know you do not officially agree with me and Monroe when we say Democrats in Illinois should be like Republicans in Texas. Okay? Because that's too partisan. And that's not embracing each other uh, kumbaya style. Uh, But come on. There's got to be a part of you at Mullen that goes, yeah, Monroe's right. Democrats in Illinois should play the game like Republicans in Texas. Your thoughts, Ed Mullen? Well, I think Texans might think that they can suppress the vote of, of the Democrats and win the close races. Uh, and then that's why they're they're changing the law. So I think they're, they're playing chess on, on a couple different boards in addition to just the maps. Um, and, and, you know, we've got a situation where Illinois has actually done a lot in the last couple of years to expand access to the ballot. We have automatic voter registration, all the things that they're stopping in Georgia and Texas and other states, we're, we're expanding. Um, so I think, I think we are doing a lot to expand both the, uh, the electorate and the ability of, of voters who are not frequent voters or voters with, with disabilities, voters who work night shift, um, you know, other people to get out and vote. So I think, I think we are doing a good job in that respect um, in, in opposition, opposition to what Texas is doing to, to make sure our voters can, can vote and their votes can be counted. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, it, it would be much better to have a secure fourth seat and know that we have this uh, majority on the court because it, it's a 10-year mistake, right? It's it's not a two-year or four-year mistake where where we can go back and, and try to do it again in two years if, if, we, if we lose. I mean, the second and third district are electing Supreme Court justices for the next 10 years. And there's a lot of issues that are going to come before the Supreme Court. Um, we've got you know, potential issues relating to abortion rights. If the Supreme Court uh, overturns Roe, we've got criminal justice issues that are going to come up under the new criminal justice reform bills that have just been passed. Um, We're going to have questions about redistricting. Uh, There's a lot of issues that are going to come before the Illinois Supreme Court in the next 10 years that are very 
controversial and important issues. And it, it's extraordinarily important um, if you are a Democrat and you believe in democratic values to make sure that those values are represented on the Supreme Court. And the reality is that Republicans think a lot more about the courts than Democrats do. And I think one of the reasons they've been more successful um, at the appellate and the Supreme Court level in the state of Illinois is because they focus on it a lot more and Democrats um, haven't uh, done as good a job educating their average voter on the importance of the courts. Ed, Ed, my question is, is it too late or can Democrats do something to rectify the error? No, so, I, I mean, it, it, it's a value choice. I, I, I mean, Ben thinks it's an error. I, I think, you know, it, it's a risky choice, but I, I, I don't know that it's necessarily an error. Um, but no, it's too late to, to change it. These these districts have been drawn. The, the bill has been passed. The bill has been signed. And uh, these are the districts that are going to exist for uh, the next set of elections and, and through the next 10 years, at least. Well, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, it, it's going to require for Democrats to get their act together on this, Ed and Monroe. It's going to require a whole new mindset. And uh, you're right, uh, Ed, De- Republicans seem to be more aware of the importance of the courts than Democrats in general. Uh, they seem to be more aware of the. So, let's put it this way. Go back to 2016 when Hillary was running against Donald Trump and Democrats were trying to explain to voters there are Supreme Court seats that could be in play. So even if you don't love Hillary Clinton, you got to admit that she'll make nom- she'll point people to the bench that are more in your thinking. That didn't seem, Ed Mullen, to really motivate Democrats that well. Not, and, not at all. And I think oh. you have to go back even further to Barack Obama appointing Merrick Garland, and and Garland just didn't um, garner any excitement from from the Democratic people. Uh, and and we could have done a lot. Uh, maybe we wouldn't have succeeded, but a lot more than actually happened to, to try to get him uh, appointed. I mean, I think a lot of people thought, well, Hillary's going to get elected. And so we don't really have to fight this fight. And she's going to appoint either him or someone else. Um, and, and we just let that we just let that go. Yeah, I. Uh... That's a whole there's a whole separate debate go on that uh, we've had on this show that if had it been had Obama appointed somebody, I think Monroe and I've had this conversation more than once had had Barack, Barack Obama knew that the Republicans were going uh, to resist his appointee. And uh, so what he tried to do was appoint somebody that he thought the Republicans would say, oh, my God, he's so fair minded. He's so in the middle of the road. We. It's not a heavily. <laughs> I'm laughing, thinking of the logic. Monroe Barack Obama plays the game. How he plays the political game, I will never under. He plays it like it's legit, and the Republicans they didn't care that he. They didn't care that Merrick Garland was down the middle of the road. You know what I mean? Like right. Right. they treated him like he was a lefty. Right. Because yeah. they, they he, he had appointed an African American woman or, or a Latino, um, you know, and, and advocacy groups and, you know, that would have been much more engaged in trying to get that person appointed than, right. you know, a, a mushy, straight white male. 
Absolutely. And right. think about this, uh, Ed. First of all, he could if let's say he appointed uh, a black woman. The Republicans wouldn't have given her a vote any more than they gave Merrick Garland a vote. But, and this goes against that whole Rahm Emanuel, Barack Obama, David Axelrod mindset. It would have fired up the base. Right. And that she had been rejected. Jesse and, Jesse, Jesse Jackson and, and Reverend Al would be uh, making a visit to uh, McConnell's office. Yes. With a bunch of folks. Exactly. But the Dems are always saying to Jesse Jackson, don't get involved. You're going to scare white people. And Mullen, you, you're old enough to remember 2000 when Bush, and four, uh, when Bush and Gore were fighting it out in Florida and Jesse Jackson was ready to go. Monroe, I know you remember this. Ready to go to Florida. And the Gore campaign said, don't come. Don't embarrass us. Don't, you know. And meanwhile, Republicans are in the freaking streets. You know what I'm saying? Putting the pressure on. Ed Mullen, they play the game differently than Democrats. They have a better. Right. I mean, the, the, the thing that, that they talk about Gore is how, how graciously he conceded. Um, I mean, that's that's not what I want to remember him for. I want to remember him for how hard he fought. Right. Well, you can't remember him for that because he didn't fight very hard. No. Uh, meanwhile, Trump still hasn't conceded. He got his butt whooped. All right. Now, Ed, let's go back to these two districts that the Democrats uh, have. They, so in other words, folks, just simply, when you make a map, the more Democrats you put in a map, the easier it is for the Democrats to win the election. It's one-on-one of map making. Okay. So if you put, if you spread your, if you concentrate your Democrats into four districts, you win all four districts. You control the Supreme court. If you spread them out in the hopes that you win five, you have the opportunity, you leave open the likelihood that you're not going to win. This is basic math that the Democrats haven't quite fathomed, haven't quite figured out. Even I get it. And I, I almost flunked algebra at Everson Township High School. I get it. Ed Mullen gets it. The Democrats don't get it. Ed, I want you to play devil's advocate with me. Okay? What? Put your head. Put, put your, make yourself like a Democrat, uh, an Illinois regular Democrat. What's the chances they can win these two districts? What's going to – you, you already said that Biden did better than Pritzker in the election, which is – that just shows you something about Trump's popularity in this state. I don't know. Um, that rounder is more popular uh, than Trump. So you've already talked about that. What else can Dems do to win these two seats? Well, I think one thing we have to do is uh, get candidates who are going to excite Democrats and, and voters who would not typically be looking at a Supreme Court race. Um, the second thing is I think we need to get regular voters involved. I think, you know, the unions and the trial lawyers have been at the forefront of these races on, on the Democratic side and the Chamber of Commerce has been at the forefront of these races on the Republican side. And I think, you know, getting average voters and, and activist groups, you know, whether it's Indivisible or Our Revolution or Democracy for America, these more uh, grassroots groups, you know, getting them engaged in a, in a court race in a way that they typically, typically don't do. But as a regular Democrat, I'm 
um, looking at the map, I mean, to play devil's advocate with you a little, you know, you look at Lake County and, you know, a decade ago, all of the countywide officials in Lake County were, were Democrats. Now you've got you've got a, a Democratic sheriff, a Democratic state's attorney, a Democratic treasurer, you know. Lake County has and and Kane County and and DuPage County and Will County are all all trending Democratic, um, but we got to win it this year. You know, we we can't win it in two years or three years. We got to win it this year. So I think they're going to be close races. Um, but I think if we get good candidates, who and those who would those candidates be? Give us two or three names, just out of curiosity. So Nancy Rotering, the mayor of Highland Park, denounced her candidacy this morning or yesterday. I, I think she she filed her statement of organization with the the state board of elections, and you know she's someone with name recognition. She's a University of Chicago graduate, uh, chairman of the board of the Legal North Suburban Legal Aid. Um, a lot of strong progressive credentials. There are a few other judges. Uh, running in that race, um, but there are no appellate court judges. I mean, normally, if you look at Cook County, the people who run for Supreme Court in Cook County are people who are sitting on the appellate court, and they're people who they've been elected to circuit court, they've been elected to, to appellate court, and then they're running for Supreme Court. So they've got experience, they've got um, they've been vetted because they've run. Um, they know how to run a campaign. They know how to raise money. We don't have that bench in the second district, which is Lake and McHenry and Kane. Um, Mike Nolan won a countywide, former state senator Mike Nolan won a countywide election for judge in Kane County two years ago, I think. And that was the first countywide Democrat to win in, in Kane County. There had been some sub-circuit judges. Um, so, so these are new um, new Democratic districts. Um, if you're looking at the third district, there is an appellate court justice who's running um, by the name of Mary Kay O'Brien, former state representative. And then there's a circuit court judge by the name of Vincent Cornelius who's running. And I think, um, you know, I, I haven't uh, met either of those candidates, but, uh, you know, they, they have, you know, pretty good credentials. And so I'm you know, I'm I'm more I'm confident that that we're going to be able to put forward some some good candidates, um, but but they're going to be close races, and they're going to need support from from all wings of the Democratic Party. It can't be, you know, a kind of a Hillary Bernie type thing or insiders versus outsiders. You know, it's got to it's got to be the kind of race where we you know put those differences aside and understand that that we've got to win this. And, and it has long-term implications for the state on, on a whole range of issues that are important to Democrats. And, and I'll point this out. Uh, and I know uh, both of you know this, uh, Ken Griffin, the multi-gazillionaire who kicked in so much money uh, to Bruce Rauner's campaign, kicked in so much money uh, to the opposition to the fair tax campaign, and kicked in so much money to the effort to do, uh, to essentially defeat uh, Thomas Kilbride. It, 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 they, they didn't elect a new justice. It was a no-confidence vote uh, in Kilbride, so he it was not re-elected, if you will. Uh, he'll be kicking in money. Ed Mullen, uh, for yeah, the Republican. And, and I think a lot of this comes out of, you know, we, we've talked offline about redistricting, but I think a lot of this comes out of the the Illinois Supreme Court's rejection of the referendum to do redistricting. And that's such an important thing uh, to the Republican parties and to the big Republican donors that I think, um, 
you know, they're going to put a lot of money into this. And, and if they win, they're going to try to change the redistricting process in, in Illinois so that, uh, you know, they, they put uh, the Democrats with one hand behind their back in that process and, and uh, you know, try to get, get a stronger uh, delegation in the General Assembly than the, the population would, would allow them. All right, so I'm going to try to put aside the gloom and doom and the shaking my head at disbelief, the disbelief at how my beloved Democrats play the game and uh, how they seem to always be a step behind and clueless. I'm going to ask you this. Uh, you told me something. I didn't realize this uh, until you just said it now, Ed, and I'll repeat this, that Joe Biden did much better in these districts among these voters than J.B. Pritzker did. So yeah. that leads me to believe that there's not there's a strong base of anti-Trump sentiment in these districts. So my thought, the first thing that any Democratic strategist should do is put Donald Trump's head on the neck of any Supreme Court justice they're running against so that effectively Donald Trump is running for Supreme Court justice, that you're putting... MAGA's number one leader on the Supreme Court. That would just be, based on what you told me, that would be my strategy. Would you subscribe to that strategy, Ed Mullen? Or do you think they should ignore Donald Trump? Go. Well, you know, I'm not sure. And I'm a lawyer, not a strategist. But I'll, I'll take a stab at this anyway. Um, you know, you look at Donald Trump's record in endorsements. And one of the things that has repeatedly come up is that when Donald Trump endorses people and his names on the ballot, his endorsements seem to carry a lot of weight. But when he endorses people when he's not on the ballot, like in the special election in Texas a couple days ago, his endorsement doesn't seem to be doing as much. And I think that it might be the same case in reverse, where when he's not actually on the ballot, um, it's not as big of a deal. Um, but also you have to remember the electorate is different in off years. I mean, you don't have uh, the president at the top of the ticket to, to draw out a lot of uh less regular voters who, you know, lean Democratic. Um, so so I think there are a lot of, you know, things that, that uh, are, are positive about the way these districts are, are drawn, um, but uh, they're going to be tight races. Monroe, your thoughts. Should the Democrats put Donald Trump's head on the neck of every single one of these judges running uh, for uh, in these Supreme Court districts? Should they use Donald Trump effectively, try to use him against the Republicans? Yes, <laughs> for sure. And I'm with the, I'm with Monroe 100 percent on this one. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, one of the things is that um, Trump's endorsement is a lot more valuable in a primary Republican primary than it is in a general. Yeah. And so um, I think they should, um, if, yeah, they should just put his head on there. Well, with uh, Ed, who, by the way, has got to be, is a political junkie. If you knew about that special congressional district race that just went down in Texas, that's a sign of political junkiehood. Uh, and the only reason I know about it, uh, Ed Mullen, is that for some reason, I've said this many times, I am on every single email solicitation list. So I've gotten literally hundreds 
of email solicitations from Jake Alizi. Is that how he pronounces his name? Who was the victorious candidate in that special election? It was a special election, Monroe, that created when I am not making this up and I'm being not facetious in any way. The sitting Republican congressman died of COVID related uh, conditions. Yeah. His wife was appointed to replace him and she was running for uh to, to have it as a permanent seat till the next election. She was running against this uh, former military man who was running to the right of her. And Trump endorsed the congresswoman. So this dude was, he didn't know how to go Ed Mullen and Monroe because he wanted to blast Nancy Pelosi and Black Lives Matter and, you know, and all the, the typical boogeymen that the Republicans have picked. But he was... <laughs> He wasn't he wasn't didn't have Trump's endorsement and he won. He somehow won. And so now no one knows what it's like Ed was saying. They don't know what it means to have Trump's endorsement anymore. Uh, and I don't know what to make of uh, of that election, other than if I'm getting hundreds and hundreds of emails from this dude, people in Texas must be getting thousands of emails from him. So maybe he's just better organized. Right. One uh, the thing I'll say that, that that was sort of in the back of my mind that that didn't uh, didn't come through in my answer is is that judicial elections are a little bit different than other elections, and there are canons of judicial ethics uh, that are are interpreted so that candidates running for judge uh, tend not to go in that direction in terms of their. Uh, their mail and their messaging. And typically that type of negative messaging is going to come from someone other than the candidate. So whether it's an independent expenditure committee that's set up by people who are interested in the race and, and uh, or, or by the party or by, by someone other than the candidate themselves, because the candidates are, are generally expected to stay above the fray uh, in these elections. And sometimes that makes them harder to win because you, you want a candidate that's going to go out there and, and fight for it like a congressional race or, or any other uh, race that people are, you know, scrapping uh, to win. Um, and sometimes the Supreme Court justice races, just because of these judicial canons and because of tradition, uh, aren't, willing to, aren't willing to do that. And, and other people have to do that for them. Yeah, by the way, and speaking of which, it's a perfect segue for me to say that uh, our good friend Terry Cosgrove will be joining us tomorrow from Personal PAC. And I, that, of course, is the abortion rights uh, PAC in the state of Illinois. And I am sure that Terry knows absolutely everything about these districts. And he's already gearing up for where <laughs> to put Trump's head. And one thing on the neck of any judge running in, because Terry Cosgrove knows politics. He and, does. And you like it, you know Terry Cosgrove is a perfect person to take that role uh, in in this race, and you know there's there's other people who who will do that as well, um, but but I think that's going to come from outside groups more than it's going to come from the the candidates and their campaigns themselves. All right, we'll be uh, Ed. We'll be following this one as it uh, you'll be you'll be our the Ben Jarowski Show special uh, Supreme Court uh, election correspondent with, with updates. So uh, we're going to close by transitioning uh, to this one conversation that Ed, I'd love you uh, to weigh in on. Has nothing to do with uh, Illinois politics, but you've already proven your ability to talk about things other than judicial elections. So here we go, Monroe. Monroe told me this before we went on the air. 
And I would like, Monroe, for you to share this theory with our listeners. I thought it was a fascinating theory. Uh, and it has to do with like the, the one-third theory, Monroe. 30% of the country is always ready to believe some batshit crazy uh, idea or uh, philosophy. Going the direction. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, explain. Yeah, and the theory is that throughout our history, one thirty percent of the country, you know, let's, let's go with the Revolutionary War. Thirty percent of the country, well, they weren't a country then, but thirty percent of those here that could vote the white men with property uh, wanted to stay with the uh, with England. They didn't want an independent country. Um, during the Civil War, thirty percent wanted to keep slavery, hardcore. Uh, uh, Civil rights movement, 30% were against civil rights. But this is a theory I heard, um, I can't remember who, but somebody on MSNBC espoused. And I I found it interesting. I'm not saying I completely um, agree with it or not, but I I found it very interesting. Uh, A very interesting observation. Yeah, I and then so I started testing him, uh, and so I said, "Well, what about nine eleven? You know, I don't know what's the what were the thirty percent in in nine eleven? And then Monroe said, "People who believe that the uh, the government itself was complicit in the blowing up of the building." And then I said, "Well, what about uh, uh, during uh, uh, Pearl Harbor?" And he said, "It was people who believe that uh, FDR put." all the sh- major battleships in one place. So it was easier for Japan to bomb them because he wanted to get into the war. In other words, every gr- historical event, there's a group of people uh, who just have a point of view that's like, different than the mainstream. And Ed, I, I'm like, when I hear that and Monroe, I'll throw this to you as well. I don't know whether to be uh, assured or not, about where we stand right now, because I see so many people in this country espousing so many whacked out points of view that just seem to defy all logic. Uh, and social media has complicated this stuff uh, because you, you, you know you now have this um, industry of of of, of lying that, that puts out lies for hire. I mean, you can buy your lies. No, this may happen in our judicial uh, election, uh, but there are industries where you you could, if I have thirty thousand dollars to um, throw away, I could hire one of these companies to put out false information that that would have me um, a, a Harvard Law School graduate and um, uh, the editor of the Harvard Law Review before Obama was the editor of it or something. You know, you have these, so that changes. I mean, now it's hard. I mean, it's, everything's crazy, basically, where we are right now with, with social media. Now, we'll see if that maintains itself or not. And, and I, I got some breaking news for you. They're going to vote on infrastructure tonight. They got a deal. Oh, they cut a deal. Yeah, right. right. Oh my! While we were sitting here, Teddy, 
Right. Uh, exactly. So I guess, uh, are you telling me that it's going to be a bipartisan? They got 10 Republicans yeah, to side with? Have a bipartisan. Yeah. I got to so, see that. To, 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 to debate it, discuss it. I mean, we're not going to have a, uh, a, a, a bill. I we're going to have, have it go to the Senate and where it's actually discussed. Joke. Uh, all right, Ed Mullen. Is uh, before I won't drag you in a filibuster uh, discussion at this moment. Although I do think that's really a joke, Monroe. That they they you, you got to beg and plead just to have a debate with the Republicans. One more time, Democrats. This is what you're up against. Okay, right. I'm just trying to say, uh, Ed Mullen. Thirty um, percent. Do you buy this? Do, are you reassured by that? By the notion that there's always people who believe in extreme theories, does it make you more uh, less scared about where we are right now? You know, it, it's interesting. It just it's consistent with what happens in a lot of uh, low information elections. So, you know, judicial retention elections in Cook County are low information. And usually you got about 30 percent of the people who just vote no. <laughs> they just vote no. Right. If yeah. you have a state representative who's running for, for re-election and, and a candidate that that's not really campaigning runs against them, they usually get 30 percent just because you've got that 30 percent out there that are contrarians. So, you know, it, it seems pretty consistent with with my experience in elections um, to to extrapolate that out to, you know, general thoughts on on the state of the world. So that, you know, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, all right. I was hoping to see if it reassures you in uh, any way. By the way, uh, that theory was really at play uh, in, uh, and I'm trying to think, I think it was 1986, and only a, a junkie who needs help would remember this. Uh, people despise so much the, uh, the coalition of candidates that the Democratic Party had put together, the Rainbow Coalition of Candidates. Uh, that it would, with Adlai Stevenson at the, the head of it, I think Ori Pachinsky was somewhere on that bunch, that they voted for LaRouche's. And the Dems woke up. <laughs> Monroe's not, and he remembers. I remember the LaRouche. Yeah, I remember the year, but no. Oh, my God. Adlai Stevenson was suddenly like his lieutenant. In those days, you ran uh, in the, uh, separate candidates' uh, campaign, so you didn't have a running mate. And he ran a well, LaRouche was his running mate. And there was a LaRouche candidate for secretary of state uh, as well. Ed, I want to say I was a secretary. So all of a sudden, Adlai Stevenson had to um, put together a third party. And with his own, you know, slated candidates and stuff. And, and Hare Krishners were, were campaigning for him at the airport. <laughs> yeah. So, Ed, that's your uh, your theory on, on steroids. Uh, Ed, do you have any thoughts on the filibuster before we close for the day? I just am flabbergasted that that the Democrats have the the House, the the Senate, and and the presidency, and we we can't get anything done. I mean, we've got to get rid of the filibuster, significantly reform it, or we're being ruled by thirty five percent of the country. That thirty five percent that believes all these crazy theories are voting in the Wyoming and. South Dakota and North Dakota and all these uh, senators who are representing such a small amount of the population that, you know, we've got 35, 40 percent of the country uh, 
tyranny of the minority, not yeah. tyranny, tyranny of the majority. I think it's gone too far. I agree with you. All right, Ed Mullen, thank you very much for taking the time to come explain the complexities of our uh, system here for electing Supreme Court justices. I'm definitely bring you back. Folks, you got to be awake at this stuff. You can't fall asleep. Republicans aren't falling asleep. They're uh, very dutiful about this. And, of course, Monroe Anderson every Wednesday on the show talking Trump, Trump, Trump. Thank you very much, Monroe. And, of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy in Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Monroe and Ed could tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Mm-hmm.